Acts chapter 6 is where we will begin. But as you sit today, you are part of what God has been doing for over 6,000 years. Before the creation of anything, the triune God existed in perfect harmony. And God, desiring to share this perfection, decided to create humans who would bear his image and live in complete joy, glorifying him forever. And for a while, they did. And it was amazing. It was perfect. God and man in perfect relationship, the way that it was planned by God to be all along, the way it was always supposed to be. Yet by their choice to sin, all in one moment, eternity was lost. Man marred the image of God in sin and fell short of his glory. And so God, not able to be in the presence of sin, banished humanity from the garden. And there's no way back in, in and of themselves. However, even in the darkest moment of sin, God was on mission to bring them back. While they were being led out of the east gate by Adam, who failed, who sinned, God promised them that salvation was coming. He told Adam and Eve that their offspring would crush the head of the serpent to crush the reign and rule of sin and darkness in them and thus give them a way back. And for 4,000 years, believers believed in the promised Messiah to come and were made righteous by faith in that promise. But what was only fuzzy in the Old Testament becomes clear in the New. The Messiah himself comes. The infinite king took on flesh and dwelt among man to live a sinless life that we couldn't live, to die a death that we deserve to die, to be raised again to life, to show that God's wrath against sin was fully satisfied on the sacrificial lamb who took our place, thus crushing the enemy. And so we have a way back into the garden by our King Jesus, the better Adam who leads us back in through the east gate. But it didn't happen. No believers in Jesus' time went with him when he ascended into heaven. Surely this was confusing for them. Here's the Messiah, Savior of the world, the one who's going to restore and make everything new, and then he's ascending on a cloud. But Jesus had to go so that God the Spirit would come and indwell all those who believe. Why? Why is there still this already but not yet? Because God is still on his mission. And it's at this point in history that a new era begins, the era of the church, the era that you and I are in right now. The Great Commission has been given, and we see the mission of God to extend salvation and forgiveness of sins to his people, and it starts in the city of Jerusalem in Acts 1. And this is what Jesus said was going to happen. In Acts 1 verse 8, he says this, And you, he's talking to his disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And notice, he doesn't ask. He says, this is what will happen. And so far in Acts 1 through 5, we've seen this played out. But only in Jerusalem. But this mission of God is for a people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people group. It's supposed to multiply from Jerusalem onto Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it has to extend out from here. How does it happen? The church multiplies 
the Great Commission is fulfilled. The mission of God to extend salvation and forgiveness of sins to His people extends out through Jerusalem, through His people. God could have chosen any means He wanted. He is God. He sits in the heavens and He does what He pleases. But He chose His people. Sinful people. Like Peter who denied Jesus and John who ran away from Jesus. But people who were redeemed by grace and set on a mission. And so the same is true for us today. The church multiplies. The Great Commission is fulfilled. The great mission of God to extend salvation and forgiveness extends out through you. It's no accident that you live where you live. It's no accident that you work where you work. God has placed you where you are to meet everyone you meet on purpose for his mission. And it could be possible that these people that God has placed you in their lives, they gain an eternity with their father because of you. The gospel advances or stagnates, and it does so by us. So how do we do this? First, let's pray before we get into our text. But uh, just be thinking of how can I do this? Let's pray. Father, before we come to your word, we pray and confess and admit that we are wholly incapable and unholy before it. God, there is nothing within us that is worthy enough to even open this book, to even read what you have to say for us. And yet by a sheer act of grace and mercy, you spoke to us by it. And so, Father, by your divine intervention, would you open it to us? Would you open our hearts to receive it? Would you open our minds to understand it so that we may be changed by it, so that we can see our Savior? And if there is anything, Father, that I say that is against you, that is against your word, that is against a proper thinking of you, I pray that you would maybe keep it from my mouth, or if it does slip out, help us to all never remember what I said. And if there is anything, any thought in this room that is contrary to you or to your gospel, Father, would you remove it from us? Would you remove every distraction from you and let us just sit with you Father, we know that this is a work that you can do, and so we pray for it. And we ask that you would show up. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The church multiplies. The Great Commission is fulfilled. The mission of God extends to extend his salvation and forgiveness happens through you. So how do we do this? We meet a man in our text today who is our example. The text describes him as being a man filled with faith. And solely because of this one man, the gospel will move for the very first time from Jerusalem onto the outermost parts of the world. God's mission is propelled into other areas of the world by this one man. The sake of the growth of this mission today could be you. And so we have to ask, how can this be true of me too? 
How can I advance the gospel movement into my place of work, into my neighborhood, into my family, into my friends, for the sake of the worship of my king and for the sake of their eternities? How can I make sure that all of these folks get to experience the same, the way that it was supposed to be? How we follow the example of Stephen, and the text shows us four ways. One, we serve with humility. Two, we suffer with hope. Three, we speak with boldness. And four, we live for Christ. I can further the gospel if I serve with humility, if I suffer with hope, if I speak with boldness, and if I live for Christ. So let's take a look at the first one, serve with humility. At this point in the book of Acts, thousands of believers are together and they're all as one body, all under the same God as a part of the same mission. But sadly, although it should, salvation hasn't kept perfect unity. If you look at chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Uh, We don't know if this is a legit Concern, and we don't know who of which party was wrong. But so far, persecution has done nothing but grow the church in faith and it expands the mission of God. But here it almost falls apart from the inside out. The church is hardly ever killed by persecution and almost always killed by the selfishness of its members. This could be any of us in the room at any given moment. So we have to check ourselves literally at the door. 1 Corinthians says this, Let no one seek his own good. If any of us become unhappy and begin to complain and grumble in our hearts about the church, any church, the first place we have to look is within. This place is far more. It's it's about far more than any of us individually. It's for the sake of magnifying the glory of God. And it's for the sake of those who might come to know Jesus. Nothing hinders our gospel movement more than a lack of love. Jesus said this in John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Is this you? Do you love just as Jesus loves you? The apostles must deal with this issue. And so verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And it's not due, that, it's not due to the fact that serving tables was beneath them. It in fact implies that they were already doing this. Uh, and later in Acts we see them serving in a myriad of other ways. But if the apostles had continued to do it, every single thing, They would be keeping others from serving. They would be in control of all the power. And they would be in sin by doing so. But they've been gifted and called by God to preach. And so they cannot do but what God has called them to do. And so whatever task keeps them from their call needs to be delegated. But now more people get to use their gifts too. And the church grows. It's for the sake of the church. It's not good that one or two or three men do all of everything, but everyone does all things together. Verse 3. Therefore, brothers, the disciples are speaking. 
Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And because of this, the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient. And so we're introduced to our example. Stephen is our humble servant. He's asked to serve in this way, and he didn't say, well, I'm going to need something a little more in line with my gifting. And he doesn't say, really, this is all you have? Like, I want to change the world. I don't want to serve food. Or he doesn't even say, what about my food? No, he says, it's not about me. And if this is how I can serve the body of Christ, I'll gladly do it. Sign me up. And his service, though seemingly small, had an effect on the church that preserved unity. It led to the conversion of priests who were supposed to be taking care of widows and orphans, and they see these Christians doing it out of love and not out of duty. And so their hearts are softened toward the gospel. And it would end up leading to the conversion of one of the church's main prosecutors, a man named Saul. Is this the way you view serving the body? Serving and greeting or on a Saturday or helping take care of kids is pretty below my talent level. Nothing thrills me in any of those things. I want to change the world, not change a diaper. But washing feet was below Jesus. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And this has huge implications for how we view the body. If the body of Christ is not fulfilling us and we're not happy with things or with how things are going in the church body, that's a good thing. No church is perfect. Help us. We desire nothing more than to do things well so that the gospel is advanced. And Stephen propels the gospel into the world around him by his life. And this first characteristic we see is his humble service. And so the same is true for you and I. We can propel the gospel by our service. So we serve with humility, and secondly, we suffer with hope. Look at verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Stephen is not in despair over his situation. He absolutely could be, but he's not. They kidnap him. 
They're lying about his character. They're putting words into his mouth. They're labeling him as something he's not. And we don't see an ounce of Stephen trying to justify himself even when he does get a chance to speak. Why? Stephen is bearing every ounce of suffering knowing that it's not going to overtake him because his God is still sovereign. Suffering will happen for genuine followers of Jesus. And we have to know that. Romans 8 says this, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. If Jesus is going to suffer, if Jesus was persecuted, so will we. Philippians 1.29 For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. And God remains in complete control through every single second of it. The good and gracious and merciful and abounding and steadfast love, God of all creation, has every moment of our lives in His hands. He's working everything according to His plan for His glory. And for believers, for those who love Him, everything will work together for our good. Why do we worry? Why do we stress? Why do we ever cower in fear at the face of any suffering? When afflictions come, we cry out, how can this be good for me? But it's because we don't see what God sees. God is transforming us from one degree of glory to the next, conforming us into the image of His Son. It is God doing the work to sanctify us, to make us holy, and he does it through our suffering. So much of our lives is trying to escape our current suffering when it's God's plan of making us look like Jesus. In fact, the true theology of suffering is to rejoice in it. Romans 5 says this, We rejoice in our sufferings, Because suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Stephen knows the same as we all know what could happen to him. He knows that at any moment, anything that he says is going to make these guys really angry, and yet he boldly goes into every bit of it. He doesn't try to justify himself. He only talks about one thing. He knows that he must obey God rather than men. He knows that God is making him more like Jesus by this suffering, and so he has hope. Do you view suffering this way? Paul was just imprisoned in Philippi when he writes this in Philippians 1. Yes, And I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Whether I live or die, I will live or die unto Christ because he has my life. God is sovereign, and so he is all of my hope and confidence no matter what suffering comes to me. 
Either I suffer and I have to cling more tightly to Jesus or I suffer and die and I get to see him. Charles Spurgeon uh, wrote this. He says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. You and I can advance the gospel in our lives by serving with humility, by suffering with hope, and by third, speaking with boldness. All of the book of Acts is an example of this. We've seen it over and over and over again, but we see it over and over and over again. God, in his providence, has set this before our eyes multiple times for us to see boldness after boldness after boldness so that we know that's what the Holy Spirit can do. And so Stephen, not a pastor, not an apostle, just a man who serves, he's up. He's about to preach a sermon. And by it, we see the boldness that we're supposed to have. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. After hearing the accusations, the high priest asked Stephen, Is this true? They said that he was teaching blasphemous things against Moses and God and this holy place and the law and that Jesus was going to destroy this place and the customs that Moses gave them. And Stephen is before the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees and Pharisees who love the law of God and who use it to their advantage. And he essentially says to them, I'm not the one demeaning the law here. I'm not the one demeaning the temple. I'm not the one demeaning this holy place. You are. And he goes through point after point of the Old Testament. We don't have time to go through it. But he goes through point after point of the Old Testament, person after person, explaining to them. Like, listen, everyone rejected whom God had put forth as a savior for the world. They rejected Abraham. They rejected Moses, Jacob. They rejected everyone. And then he says to them, you guys don't understand the scripture. Because if you did, then you would know that the entire history really testifies about Jesus. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who would lead his people into the promised land. Jesus is the true and better miraculous offspring who would be sacrificed. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who would lead lead his brothers out of famine. Jesus is the true and better Moses who would lead his people out of slavery. Jesus is the true and better David who defeated the Goliath of sin while we, the people, stood back in fear. Jesus is what all of these stories of the Old Testament were pointing to. And then they were supposed to show us our rejection and our idolatry. But just like Israel rejected all of them, just like Israel rejected all of these pointers to Jesus, now these men are rejecting the righteous one. So Stephen points them to Jesus. He says, he is the very fulfillment of the law that you guys are dying to keep. Now he knows. Now he knows he, as he's speaking, as he's preaching his sermon, he can see every one of their faces, every one of their eyes, and they're getting angry. And yet he stands in the power of the Holy Spirit to speak with power. Surely he knows what could happen. Yet by the Holy Spirit, he speaks with power. So this is good for us to see. Because whatever fear you have in sharing Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives you the courage and boldness to speak anyway. 
You've been given the authority and power to boldly and lovingly and genuinely share the good news that forgiveness is offered in Jesus. Currently in America, we are free to proclaim the gospel without fear of our lives, but I think it's going to change. Because it's changing across the globe. In North Korea, Christians are considered hostile elements to be eradicated. And their federal government gives incentives to to those who will expose Christians. And then the government shows up, kills them on the spot. In Afghanistan, Christians are caught and killed on the spot. In Somalia, Christians are high-value targets. In Libya, Christians are beheaded regularly. In Eritrea, Christians are captured, put in shipping containers, and left for dead. In Pakistan, Christian girls are specifically targeted and abducted from their homes, raped, then forcefully married off to non-Christians. We cannot be cowards with the good news. One day, it might actually cost us our lives. Or the lives of those we love. And so if we cower now, we stand no chance when it comes. It should give us great boldness to see Stephen here. To see him before these men who have the power to put him to death in a second. And to preach to them, guys, listen, you're in sin, but there is forgiveness that's being offered for you. If you would not reject the righteous one, if you would not reject this Jesus... And he starts to culminate in this. He was so bold, but how? Jesus says in Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We speak out of what we are full of. What is your heart full of? Because the truth is we will only speak of the gospel as much as we love the gospel. If the gospel is beautiful to us, which it absolutely should be, then it should be that we speak it, we proclaim it with great power. We've been entrusted with a message. We were a part of this 6,000-year-old history of God redeeming his people. We've been entrusted with good news for a dying world. The question is not, do I share the gospel? But how am I doing in sharing the gospel? How are you doing? You and I can advance the gospel by serving with humility, by suffering with hope, by speaking boldly, and forth by living for Christ. Look at verse 54 of chapter 7. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen, so filled with the hope of being resurrected in Jesus, asked for Jesus to welcome him home and asked that he would forgive those who were stoning him, throwing rocks at his face in that very moment. Stephen is becoming to others what Jesus was to him. Because do you hear your Savior? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Do you see Jesus? Who loved you so much? That he willingly gave himself up for you. That you might be saved. So would you give your life for this same mission? The question is not, would you die for it? But would you live for it? Paul writes this in Philippians. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Is this the way you view your Jesus? Stephen died, was brutally murdered, not knowing what was about to happen in the entire world because of him. We are here today because of Stephen. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Do you see what happened? Stephen's life and death was the means by which the gospel advanced into the rest of the world. It happened by his serving with humility, by suffering with hope, by speaking with boldness, and by living and ultimately dying for Christ. But ultimately, all of these are only a byproduct 
All of these are only part of a deeper characteristic of Stephen. If you'll go back to chapter 6, verse 5, the whole reason they chose Stephen is because he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. When it comes down to it, Stephen acted in these ways by one way and one way only, by faith by trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross to pay the price for his sins, to secure for him an eternal inheritance, to give him everything he could ever want or need in the person of Jesus. And so how do we do this? How do we serve with humility and check ourselves at the front door? How do we suffer with hope? How do we speak with any boldness at all? How do we live? How do we die? By faith. By faith. The only way we will ever obey. The only way that we will ever grow. The only way that we will ever do anything for the glory of God's name is not by looking straight to what we must do, but straight to what Christ has done. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Freedom comes first. Then obedience. God freed Israel from the Egyptians then gave them the commandments. Freedom must come first. So then every bit of obedience is first, it's by running to the gospel to believe again and again in our true identities. It's by running again and again over and over to Christ and seeing everything that he did for us so that everything we encounter in life, whether it's suffering or joy, we see it in light of the cross. It's not so overjoyous that it distracts from the cross and every suffering only leads us further to it. And then out of that faith, out of the trusting in that finished work of Jesus on the cross, out of that faith, we have a new mind and a new man and a new woman and they emerge and the fruit of obedience grows. We all with unveiled face first beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. By faith, obedience grows. By faith, we serve. By faith, we suffer. By faith, we speak. And by faith, we live and die. Our only obedience comes by beholding the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. The worst news in the universe is that God is holy and in our sin we are not. And so we cannot be with God. But the greatest news in the universe is that Jesus was holy on our behalf. That we might stand where he deserved to stand. So that we might be called a beloved son or daughter the way that Jesus was supposed to be the beloved son.
in this gospel. This good news for a dying people is God's primary way that he advances his kingdom. So the church multiplies. The great commission is fulfilled. The great mission of God to extend salvation and forgiveness of sins to his people extends out through you. And that's not a scary thing. Because as you sit today, you are part of what God has been doing for over 6,000 years. And you've been called to this mission. And God has given you the power to answer the call. By faith. And in Jesus, we have nothing to lose and everything to gain. So the question is, where will you take your gospel? Where will you take your gospel? The only way it happens is by beholding the glory of the Lord first. Is by faith. And so, in order to best behold Jesus, in order to best see him, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. If you're a believer, you're welcome to the table to partake as part of the family. However, if you are not yet a believer, or if you are in any unrepentant sin, I ask that you would remain in your seat in this time. For 1 Corinthians says that you would eat and drink in an unworthy manner. But if you're in unrepentant sin, take this time to repent. Return to your Father in this time and know that you do not deserve the grace that you seek. But you have it by undeserved grace through faith in Jesus. Search the depths of your dark heart. Take this time to do that. The stuff that you keep pushing back, confess it. Let Jesus be a light in it so that you can be relieved of the weight of it. Would you confess your sins before your Father and turn from them? If you're an unbeliever, the bad news is that there is no access to the Father in your current state of sin and unbelief. Because the wages of your sin is eternal death. But the good news of the gospel is that Christ has made a way for you. By his life and his death, there are no good deeds that get us there. There is no being a good person. There is only one good person. Would you believe in him? Every longing that you have in your soul ultimately finds itself in this salvation because you'll begin to see what you were created for, what you were designed for. Would you believe in the good news for the sake of your souls today? And if you're here this morning and you are a believer, but you're worried, maybe I'm not a believer. I have a lot of sin that I'm in right now. Or maybe it seems like you have no strength to obey in any of these ways. Be filled with faith. It is a gift. Dead people do not worry about whether or not they are obeying God. Confess your sin. There is no condemnation for you in Jesus because Jesus took every bit of it on the cross. 
So use the free gift of grace that God has given you and return to him. And then use what God has given you for his kingdom. For all of us during this time, here is our prayer. Father, I confess my sin before you that right now I fall short of your glory. Would you, by your grace, cover these sins yet again and give me the faith to see Jesus that I may be given a new heart yet again. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So take your time to pray through whatever it is God is giving you in his word by his spirit. And when you're ready, the elements are at the back of the room. Grab them, bring them back to your seats, and we'll take them all together here in a minute. Here. God of the universe created us and designed us for relationship with him. We choose sin and yet he gives grace and mercy because he desires that back. He desires that relationship back with you. And in the same way, there are people in the world there are people in your world who do not know Jesus. And yet he has the same desire. How can I further the gospel movement? By being full of faith in this Jesus. That I have everything because of this body and this blood that were shed. And now the work is finished. All of this because on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. That we were dead in our sins and trespasses with no way into heaven, no way back to a relationship with you like it was always supposed to be. And yet, by some mystery, you looked on us and had mercy. God, we will spend eternity praising you and giving you glory for this fact alone. And we pray now, Father, that you would build our faith in it. That by beholding this Jesus, by beholding the good news of the gospel, yet again, we would be transformed. Not for the sake of our own piety, but for the sake of those who might believe and for the sake of your worship. God, would you fill the room of heaven by us? Would you lead us? Would you give us opportunities to speak? Whoever it is that you are 
on your mission to save, Father, would you bring them to us and give us the power to speak. We praise you for such a good news. And we praise you for your son. We pray that you would help us to believe. Make us full of faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.